Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. During the six Sundays of Lent leading up to Easter, we're going to look at Jesus the healer. And we'll do this by looking at six healing stories from the ministry of Jesus. Now, this is not a particularly Lenten theme. Lenten themes are usually about the long journey of Christ toward the cross and toward death. But the truth is we've been in a long Lent. We've been in a two-year long Lent. We're coming up just right now, this week, on the two-year anniversary of the real beginning of our experience of this pandemic. And it's been a long season of loss. A lot of things have been lost. There's been the loss of joys, certainly the loss of lives. There's been the loss of civility that we've seen in our own country. And now we see the loss of peace as war breaks out in Europe. I think all of us, maybe more than we know, are in need of some healing. I think all of us, perhaps more than we know, have been traumatized and we're in need of some healing. The good news is we have that healer. His name is Jesus. And so today we begin a series on Jesus the healer. And we're going to begin with the story of Jesus healing a paralyzed man in Capernaum where we see the faith of friends. This story takes place in Capernaum. It's a fishing village on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. It's Jesus' adopted hometown. We all know that Nazareth is his hometown where he lived until he began his ministry. But as soon as he began his ministry, he adopted a new hometown and it was Capernaum. Jesus would travel around Galilee preaching, doing his work, sometimes occasionally into Judea. But he would always return back home to his new home in Capernaum. Mark chapter 2 verse 1. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. This is interesting. We're pretty sure we know where Jesus stayed in Capernaum. He stayed in Peter's house. This is even more interesting. We know where Peter's house is. It's one of those A sites in biblical archaeology. We know because from very early on, the house of Simon Peter in Capernaum became a church and became a site for Christian pilgrimage that continues to this day. And so we know where Jesus stayed when he was in Capernaum. He stayed in the home of Simon Peter. Verse 2. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was 
there, there was no more room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. People were attracted to Jesus primarily because he was a healer. He was a healer and he also offered hope, the hope of newness, the hope of a new kingdom that he called the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus had been on one of his ministry tours throughout Galilee, but now he's come back home. And the news spread, hey, he's back, he's back in town. He's back home. And immediately the house is packed out. It's spilling outside the door. People can't get in because people are always in need of hope and healing. And if there's someone that has hope and healing, people will be drawn to them. And so they are packing out the house. You can't even get in. Now in Capernaum, there was a man who had become paralyzed. Jesus has been in Capernaum for a little while now, and he's been doing lots of healing. And we're even told that he healed everybody that came to the house. So what I assume, I'm making a guess here, but what I assume is that this man had become paralyzed while Jesus was out traveling around. Did he, was it an accident? Did he suffer a fall and was paralyzed? We don't know. Did he have a stroke and he's paralyzed on the left side and can't walk? We don't know. But something has happened to this man. We'll give him a name. We'll call him Yitzhak. Nice Jewish name. Yitzhak has become paralyzed. So he can't come to Jesus because that's his very problem. He can't move. But this man had four friends. And the four friends said, well, we got to get Yitzhak to Jesus. And so they, they carried him on his mat that he's laying on. Four of them, one on each corner. They arrived, but they arrived a little bit too late. You know, some people never get to church on time. <laughs> and uh, there was no more room. It's spilling outside the door. They're trying to, you know, jostle their way in. And people are like, no, man, I've been standing in line. I'm not moving. You ever been to a concert, been up front, and there'll be all those people try to, try to get up there? Yeah, yeah. But it's hard to do when you got a man on a stretcher. So they couldn't get in. But these friends were the kind of friends that you need. They're relentless. And they said, all right, we can't come in through the door. We'll come in through the roof. So they, they go up on the roof, but that's not hard. Those kind of houses, they have a, a stairway on the side of the house that goes up to the roof. But the roof apparently is probably, it's, it's mostly covered with, well, thatch or more like palm branches and it's like that. So they can get up there and they can remove that and they can have access into the house. But there's, you know, this is something of an engineering project. You have to figure out where Jesus is. You know, so they're, 
Oh, no, about three more feet to the left here. (laughs) They've got to figure this all out. And then there's ropes involved, you know, the whole bit. And they they get, they they open it up, they get the ropes attached and they have to lower it. You know, you don't want to drop the guy. And they start lowering it down. All right, let's keep going. And Jesus is in there preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And then you just have to imagine it. Here it comes. Man, this, this is a sermon stopper. I mean, you just, can't, you just can't keep preaching, you know, when that happens. Pretend that you didn't see a man on a stretcher was just lowered down right in front of the preacher. Verse five. Seeing their faith, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. So here's the man, he's lowered down. He obviously sees this paralyzed man on his mat. And then he looks up and he sees the four friends. They're probably smiling. (laughs) And Jesus seeing their faith, said to the man, your sins are forgiven you. Now the story's getting strange. I'm thinking, well, thank you, Jesus, but that's not exactly why we came. (laughs) Forgiveness is great, thank you, but you know, we really had something else in mind. Jesus, well, first of all, we don't know necessarily that we're calling Yitzhak. We don't know if Yitzhak had faith in Jesus, but we know he had faith in his friends. To let him carry him up on the roof and lower him down and all that. Yitzhak has faith in his friends. The friends certainly have faith in Jesus. Jesus sees their faith, says to their friend, your sins are forgiven. But they brought him there for healing. I mean, for forgiveness, not for healing. But here's the thing, Jesus doesn't seem to make that much of a distinction. Jesus, right here in this very chapter, a little later, because what's going to happen next is he's going to call Matthew, Matthew Levi, who is a tax collector. And tax collectors weren't cool sinners. They were despised agents of the Roman Empire, extracting at extortionist rates, tax unjustly from their own people. But Jesus calls Matthew to leave being a tax collector and follow him. And Matthew says, I'll do it. And he has a a, a final party before he's going to go off and be a disciple of Jesus. And he throws a big party. Tax collectors were rich. He has a big house, a big party. Lots of people come. All his friends are sinners. He doesn't know anybody that isn't a sinner. That's who he hangs out with. And Jesus goes and is dining with all the sinners and the Pharisees are scandalized, they're upset. And they say, why does this man befriend sinners and eat with them? And Jesus said, because they're sick and the sick need a physician. So Jesus is the friend and physician of sinners. We need a friend to forgive us and a physician to heal us. We tend to make a hard theological 
distinction between sin and sickness, between iniquity and illness, between guilt and death, but Jesus doesn't seem to make that hard distinction. In his great compassion, Jesus looks upon all of us as soul-sick sinners broken in a fall, and he comes to help us, to heal us, to forgive us, to restore us. The salvation we find in Jesus Christ is holistic. Verse six, Jesus knew immediately what they were, no, verse six, but some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy, only God can forgive sin. So keep the whole story together. The man is brought, lowered down, he sees their faith, says, Child, your sins are forgiven. Pharisees are upset. Religious leaders are upset. They're saying, well, this is blasphemy. Only God gets to forgive sin. And this is one of the most controversial practices of Jesus in his ministry was just to simply forgive people, declare them forgiven apart from any of the temple rituals. I mean, there was a way to get forgiven, but you know, you had to go through the proper procedures. It would be like somebody issuing driver's licenses without having to go to the DMV. So it's like, I gotta go to the DMV. I don't wanna do that. I gotta get my license renewed. And someone says, oh, you don't have to do that. I can give you a license. And you're thinking, can he do that? Is that legal? That's how they thought about Jesus. Jesus was saying, your sins are forgiven. He's not authorized to do that, is he? That's the question. And Jesus knows what they're thinking. He knows they're thinking that. So verse eight, Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven or stand up, pick up your mat and walk? Well, for us, I know what the answer is. I mean, if you say your sins are forgiven, how do we really know? If, if we say get up and walk, I mean, either they do or they don't. So I will prove to you, Jesus says, that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat and walked out through the stunned onlooker. I just, I can see that scene. People were just like, wow. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. All right, here's the excellent example of how Jesus tends to blend the categories of sin and sickness. He says, your sins are forgiven. Yeah, but we came for healing. Oh yeah, we can do that too. It's all kind of together. Now, this doesn't mean, don't misunderstand me. This is real important that you don't misunderstand. This doesn't mean that sickness is a consequence of sin. If anything, it's the other way around. That sin is the consequence of our sickness. When Jesus was asked who sinned because someone was sick, Jesus said, that's the wrong question. When we see suffering, the question isn't who can we blame, the question is how can we help? 
Jesus sees both sin and sickness as conditions to be healed. And Jesus' very nature is that of a healer because Jesus is the full revelation of who God is. And God is a healer. He heals the sick. He forgives the sinner. Now, the thing, though, that stands out to me right now in the healing of the paralyzed man in this story is this. Yitzhak, that's the name we've given to the paralyzed man, would not have been healed had it not been for the faith of his friends. Jesus saw their faith, not his, and saved the paralyzed man, saved Yitzhak with forgiveness and healing. The faith of friends. Faith is something we do together. The radical individuality of modernity has obscured this. We've been led to believe that faith is a sole individual effort. And that maybe once we have achieved some level of faith, then we can congregate with other people. No, faith is something we do together. And seeking to live as a believer, there may be times when our individual faith is paralyzed. In seasons of faith paralysis, we need to be carried by the faith of our friends. It's perfectly legitimate to say, at least for a season, I believe because my friends do. Sometimes their faith may have to carry you. I believe because my friends do. And I trust my friends. If you are always the sole arbiter of truth, all alone, up inside your head, a little doubt can grow into a monstrous doubt and overwhelm you. Because you're all alone. And you're in your head. And things get weird in your head. A little, a little thing grows and grows and grows until it just eclipses everything else. And you can begin to say, well, I don't believe anymore because I got this doubt. This doubt has grown. It's so big. Well, that's, that's part of the problem of trying to believe all on your own. There's much to be said for trusting your friends and their faith. Now in this story, we have five friends, five. And one friend has become paralyzed. We call him Yitzhak. Did he fall off a ladder? Did he have a stroke and he's paralyzed now? We don't know. Something has happened though. Five friends, one of them is now paralyzed. So the other four carried their friend to Jesus. And they do whatever it takes. I mean, they're, they're going to get him there. And they can't get in the door. They don't go, oh, well, we tried. Sorry, it's up. I guess it just wasn't meant to be. No, they, they keep trying and they get him up on the roof and they lower him down in front of Jesus. Four friends taking care of the one friend who can't take care of himself. Four healthy friends taking care of one paralyzed friend. And that sounds about right. I think the percentage is about right. 
I just kind of assume that at any given moment, about 20% of us can't make it on our own. You know, thank God it's never all of us at the same time we can't make it on our own. Bit of providence there, I think. So I just assume at any given moment, about 20% of us can't make it on our own. And when your faith can't carry you, be humble enough to let the faith of your friends carry you. Don't say, no, I'm just going to tough it out on my own. And if I'm struggling with doubt, I'll just have to deal with it myself. I'll go off by myself until I can sort this out and decide how much I really. But no, 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 that's the exact opposite. Let your friends carry you for a while. Let them carry you as long as is necessary. Four healthy friends taking care of one paralyzed friend. One of the lies of modernity is that only individual faith is authentic. That's just nonsense. It's just not true. You've been conditioned to think that way. That only the faith I arrive at all by myself, convincing myself all on my own is authentic faith. That's just, that's just categorically untrue. Christianity is a received faith and none of us believe all by ourselves. Faith is something we do together. The early Christian church had this saying. It was very popular, very common saying. One Christian, no Christian. One Christian, no Christian. One, one Christian is no Christian. They understood something very instinctively that it's hard for us to understand. They understood that Christianity is more or less impossible as a solo effort. That Christianity is not a form of self-improvement. It's not a form of self-help. Salvation is best understood as the kind of belonging we come. And now we belong to a community of faith and together we believe. Together we believe. We believe together. And when one of us falters, the rest are carried when one of us falters, the rest of us carry the one that falters. And it changes from time to time who's faltering and who is able to carry on. Lived Christian faith is quintessentially social. It's something we do together. The Christian life is not just sitting around thinking Christian thoughts in our head all alone. The Christian life is one where we absolutely depend upon one another. I mean, from the very start, it's something we do together. You can't baptize yourself. Despite the fact that that's what Robert Duvall does in The Apostle, if you've ever seen that movie. But that's the absurdity. That makes the point of the absurdity of it all. And it, you know, it clearly didn't work out all that well for him. So no, you can't, you can't baptize yourself. And here's, I, I'm going to talk about this. This is, this is the particular Protestant problem. Of you're all the time trying to convince yourself that you're saved. Now, I, I'm a pastor. been a pastor for four decades. I don't know how many people I've talked to over the years, hundreds of people, who come to me deeply troubled and disturbed that somehow they're not saved. Do you understand that that's a common problem? They come and they're very anxious. 
very troubled. What I used to do was try to help them to convince themselves that they're saved. Just to believe harder. (laughs) I no longer do that. I talk to them more or less like this. I said, well, you convincing yourself that you're saved doesn't really mean anything. That's not how it works. You have been baptized into Christ. You believe in Jesus, right? Yeah. Then I, in the name of the church, tell you that you're saved. You don't have to tell yourself. That wouldn't mean much one way or the other. I'm telling you that you are saved or at least in the process of being saved and will be saved. The church tells you that. You don't have to tell you. You tell yourself, if, you, if you're dependent upon telling yourself, then you're, you're blown about by every wind and someday. No, the, the church says, you've joined this community of salvation and we are being saved and we will be saved in Christ. It takes the pressure off. Diedrich Bonhoeffer famously said that when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And it's true. Cross-styled self-denial is an essential part of discipleship, but it's just as true to say when Christ calls a person, he bids her come and join us. Come and join us. You see, taking up your cross and following is not something you do by yourself. Come and join us. So I invite, I invite you to join us, just to join us. We are a community of people committed to following Jesus. We know we do so imperfectly, but it works out because we do it together. And when one falters, the rest help care of the other one. See, we are a community of people committed to following Jesus together. The shorthand name for that is church. So I invite you to come and just be a part of us. So you don't have to do it on your own because you can't do it on your own. It's not designed to be done on your own. In the healing at Capernaum, Jesus is the hero. But the four friends play their part, amen? Jesus is the healer, but friends can be the carriers. Only Jesus is the healer, only Jesus is the savior, but you can have some friends that'll help get you there, that'll help carry you to Jesus. We carry one another to Jesus when we can't make it on our own. And I have been through some hard seasons in my life. And I don't know if I would have made it without my friends. But my friends were there. They were there to carry me in prayer, to carry me in their faith, to carry me to Jesus. Amen. The faith of friends. So this morning, there'll be some here. You say, I know which one I am in that story. I barely got here at all. Or maybe you didn't get here at all, but you tuned in. And you say, yeah, my, my faith is really, something's wrong. It's just, it, doesn't, it doesn't move. It's paralyzed. I'm going through something that's too big for me. I'm overwhelmed with doubt. The problem's too big. There's too much going on. I'm overwhelmed. Who is that here that that feels that way? 
Yeah, I see you. Kind of wave at me here a second. Yeah. Would you, would you be just, because we're just friends, we're just friends. Would you be bold enough just to stand up for a moment? Just to stand up? I know it's hard when you're paralyzed to stand up, but try. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Look around. These are your friends. This is, they need some help. Now everybody, now keep your eye on some of them. Keep your eye on them. Find them. They might be behind you. And now everybody stand up. And stretch your hands out towards these that need our help today. We're going to be their friends. We're going to carry them to Jesus. I'm going to be your friend. And Lord, we just pray. Just everybody start praying. You don't have to just listen to me. Just start praying. Just start praying for them, however you feel led. Lord, we pray for these. We pray for these people who it's too hard for them right now. And something's paralyzed and they're not moving like they used to. Jesus, we bring them to you. We're not the healer, but you are. We can't heal them, but we can bring them to you, Jesus. And that's what we do. We do that with our faith. We do that with our prayers. We do that with our love. We carry them in love to you, Jesus. And we ask that you would touch them, that you would heal them. Spirit, soul, and body. That which is weighing them down, that which is troubling them, that which is plaguing them, that which is gripping them, that which is paralyzing them. Jesus, we ask you to break that off of them. We ask you to touch them. We ask you to heal them. We ask that you speak those words of life to them. Lord, let this, let this Sunday be the moment where something wonderful happens and they're able to rise up and then everybody just praises God and says, oh, we've not seen it like this before. Lord Jesus, you're the one who is the friend of sinners and you forgive us and you're the physician to the sick and you heal us. And to you, it's more or less all the same. So Jesus, we thank you that you are our friend and our physician. And Lord, I ask that you would forgive our sins and heal all that is distorting us, all that is breaking in us, all that is harming us, all that is ruining us. Jesus, be the healer among us. We call you Jesus the healer. Let your healing come to these people. In this room, at this moment, those, of, those that are with us online, let your healing come to them now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen and amen. And now, and now, together, we will come to the table of the Lord. Amen. And we'll receive, we'll participate in the life of God that's found in the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ, communicated it to us through the sacrament of bread and wine. Pray with me, our prayer of confession, our, 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 our confession of faith, rather. Let's start there. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, 
the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now let's confess our sins and receive the Lord's forgiveness. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name, amen. And God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy. I'm telling you, in the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. You don't have to convince yourself, I'm telling you, in the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. You're being saved. You're going to be saved. It's going to be all right. In the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. And this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith, and you who have little, you have none. Come, because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you.